Psalm 107 today. I want to speak to you just for a few moments today on the topic, Oh, that men would thank. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquity, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. He brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. He turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Precious God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look once again at your word. I pray right now, Father, for your filling, the filling of the Holy Spirit, 
that, Lord, I would uh, be protected, be empowered, and uh, just be accurate and clear in that which comes forth from this pulpit. I pray, Father, if there's anything in my life that would prohibit my uh, standing here, I pray, Father, that you'd take it away and cleanse me and help me and just use this time. Father, may we be thankful. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought as I read this psalm this week, what a wonderful Thanksgiving psalm this particular thing is. Now, I confess to you that I don't keep very good records in my sermonizing, and I'm starting to get a little bit nervous as I've been here for five years now, and I start thinking about what have I preached on previous Thanksgivings and previous Christmases. So I suppose it's possible I've preached this particular one because it's just such a good Thanksgiving psalm that I I may have, but... uh, If I did, I don't remember it, and this is a completely different message. So if you're looking in your notes right now and you see a little mark right there, this will be different. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic of, oh, that men would thank. You know, we could spend the whole morning on verse 1 of this psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. I mean, right there is all we need to talk about. And right there ought to be enough for every one of us to be shouting this morning and saying, Hallelujah, God is good. All across our land and in homes all over the place, little children pray that prayer. God is great. God is good. And oh my goodness, what else do we need to know? We could thank him and thank him and thank him for the rest of our lives just over that one truth. But Psalm 107 goes beyond just verse number one. It goes on here and it talks about several other reasons and several other things that we need to be thankful for. The psalmist here gives us four great examples of God's deliverance. Four times he describes a terrible state in which they found themselves. And four times he tells how in their great need they cried out to God for deliverance. Verse number six, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses. Same thing, verse number 13, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. Same thing, verse number 19, they cried out to the Lord. In their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. And also, verse number 28, they cry out to the Lord, and he brings them out of their distress. So, four different times he tells how, in their great need, they cried out to God, and four times he reminds the reader that thanksgiving is the only response to such deliverance. I I, I just, I, I can't get past this verse that just jumps out of this psalm. I don't know how you read this psalm without seeing this key thought jump out at you. Verse number eight, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And repeat it for each of those other instances. Also, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31. So this morning, just for a few minutes, I want you to notice with me four different examples of God's deliverance, four different reasons that we have to be thankful. And I would suggest as I read this, I read this in a very personal way. I see all four of these in my life in some ways. And so as I read this, I'm going to kind of talk in the first person this morning. God has delivered me. And I hope that you also think about the fact that he also has delivered you. Four different things. God has delivered me, number one, from desert, wandering in the desert. Number two, from darkness. Number three, from disease. Number four, from disaster. And I have to tell you right off the bat, I can't take credit for the alliterated outline. I stole that from somebody else. I have to give credit where credit's due. But nonetheless, it sums it up. Desert, darkness, disease, disaster. Consider, first of all, verses four through nine. 
verses 4 through 9, he has delivered us from wandering in the desert. Isn't that what it says in verse number 4? They wandered in the wilderness. It's a Bible word for desert. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Verse number 6. And he led them forth that they might go to a city. Verse number 7. Now, scholars tell us that this psalm was probably written in the post-exilic period. In other words, the very time that we have just finished discussing or been discussing in the whole study of Nehemiah. And so they have come back from Babylon and other places. And that seems to be the historical background. And as we think about that particular thing, deliverance from the wandering in the wilderness, we can see that obviously this particular part of the psalm is probably speaking specifically about that historical aspect of what had happened in the lives of the children of Israel. Some people think it could have been the exodus. That's possible too. But the evidence seems to report to the exile. That would be the historical, but oh, how it applies. How it applies to you and how it applies to me. Before I met Jesus, I was wandering in the desert, weren't you? I was lost. I had no city in which to dwell. I was hungry. I was thirsty. My soul fainted in me. All those are descriptions that describe the lost soul, don't they? John Peterson seemed to think so. He said, I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found. But to the blessed cross of Christ one day I came where springs of living water did abound. Doesn't that describe you? It sure describes me. I was wandering in the desert. And so how can we not help but thank God for leading us forth, as verse number 7 says, for delivering us from the desert of our lost state. And that only comes about when we cry out to the Lord, just as in verse number 6. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. That's the same exact remedy that sufficed for me, the same exact remedy that led to my salvation. The psalmist said in Psalm 34, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. That's what happened to me. I called upon the name of the Lord and was saved. Saved from wandering, saved from desert, saved from distress. I love the way it puts it here. It says he satisfies the longing soul. He satisfied my longing soul. He filled my hungry soul. With goodness. I wonder, is that your testimony this morning? If so, and if, 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 if that is the case with you, I don't know how you cannot feel the same as I do. How do we not give thanks for the fact that he has delivered us from that desert? How do we not sing as the little chorus said, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's the first great deliverance. The second is in verses 10 through 16. Verses 10 through 16. He's not only delivered us from wandering in the desert. He's also delivered us from darkness. Isn't that we see? Verse number 10. Those who sat in darkness in the shadow of death. Bound in affliction and irons. Verse 10 says. They fell down and there was none to help. Verse 12 says. Until they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he heard them. And delivered them, verse 13. He brought them out. He broke their chains. He cut the bars of iron in two, verses 14 and 16. Now, deliverance from darkness here could be describing the exact same deliverance we just talked about. It could be talking about our salvation, couldn't it? Because the fact is, darkness is a valid description of that. Darkness does describe our deliverance from being lost to being saved. From hell to heaven. 
It does describe that. One of the greatest hymns that has ever been written by one of the greatest hymn writers has ever wrote hymns described it that way. Charles Wesley said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Oh, what a great song that is. And can it be that I should gain? Well, Scripture certainly describes our lost condition as darkness. First Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so this deliverance from darkness here could be talking about our salvation, just like the previous one. But it's interesting, isn't it, that it, it seems to have a different reason. Look at verse number 11. It says, the, well, verse 10 says, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. It would seem here that they were imprisoned because of their rebellion. It would seem here that the picture is not of the person who is lost and being saved, but it is the person who is saved and has drifted away from God. If the historical background is the exile, the exile is not a picture of being lost. The exile is a picture of being backslidden of having turned away from God. It was his children who he was dealing with during that time. And so it's all a picture of that. And so I would suggest this morning that this deliverance from desert pictures the deliverance and salvation of a lost soul, but the deliverance from darkness here in verses 10 and following is talking about our deliverance from having drifted away, the deliverance of a saved but backslidden soul from the darkness and bondage that such a condition always brings. And I have to confess to you this morning that I see myself in that. Don't you see yourself in that? I look back over times in my Christian life <laughs> where I have known the right and chosen the wrong. Can you see yourself in that? Where I've heard the word of God and rebelled against its demands. Where I have despised the counsel of the Most High, as verse number 11 speaks of there. Perhaps you too can relate to that. Perhaps you find yourself in such a state of rebellion, maybe even now. And the answer is the same answer that they had. The answer is what we see here in verse number 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. As I look back over those dark periods in my Christian life, I cannot help but thank the Lord for deliverance. I cannot help. No part of my Christian experience makes me feel less worthy of his amazing love than to know that I, as a believer, indwelt by the Spirit of God, knowing what he had done to save my soul, rebelled and turned away for a while. Can you relate? He delivered us from darkness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, that man. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Deliverance from a desert, from darkness. Number three, from disease, verses 17 through 22. Deliverance from disease. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. That literally means sick. Fools, because of their sin, were sick, is how we might translate Verse number 17. They lost their appetite. Death seemed imminent. Verse number 18. Then they cried out to the Lord and he saved them. Verse number 19. He healed and delivered them. Verse number 20. 
Now, you might not think that that verse, that, that word afflicted there in verse 17 means sick, but uh, not all do, but it seems to be the consensus amongst most scholars that it's talking about sickness and disease. In the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible compiled by Eugene Peterson, here's how he says that verse. He says, some of you were sick because you'd lived a bad life. Your body's feeling the effects of your sin. You couldn't stand the sight of food so miserable you thought you'd be better off dead. So the darkness from which we were delivered was caused by rebelling against God's word. But the disease that's spoken of here, look what it says it's caused by. It's caused by fools because of their sin. Fools because of their sin. You know... And I find this astonishing how the Lord sometimes <laughs> leads us in the same way. Brother Jib talked about this in his Sunday school class so well this morning. You know that it is entirely possible to be in a state of ill health because of sin. You know that, right? The Bible says, if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror unto you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. Leviticus chapter 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Brother Jim used this one this morning. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. The word sleep means night. I don't want to to delve too deeply into this this morning, but do you see it? Uh, The point is very simple. It's possible to be in a state of ill health because of sin. It may not just be physical. It might be mental. It might be emotional. It might be depression. Whatever way it comes, there are times when our foolish sin against God affects us and we're miserable because of it. I think I've probably been there. Have you? The answer is in verse number 19. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. How do we not thank God this morning for the amazing truth that he will save us and restore us and heal us even when it is a, the, the condition we're under is a result of our own foolishness and stupidity? How do we not thank God for that? All that men, all that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. One last one, deliverance from disaster, verses 23 through 32. Deliverance from disaster. You know, I've read Psalms for many, many years of my life. I was saved when I was 12 years old, trusted Christ right here at this altar when I was 12. And I have read the Bible. I've tried to read the Bible through uh, most of my life since. I've had lapses, I'm sure, here and there. But for the most part, every year since then, I've read the Bible. I was just talking to a brother the other day, and he was asking me about a, a Bible reading plan. He said I, he wanted to know how, how, how a Bible reading plan that would get him through the Old Testament once in a year and through the New Testament twice because... We'd been talking, and I'd mentioned that I have done that in the past. And I told him, well, if you just do the math, you can come up with a plan that'll do that. Uh, And roughly, if you read three chapters every day of the Old Testament and two chapters every day of the New, roughly, you'll get through the Old Testament once in a year and the New twice. And then I mentioned to him that that's that's something that I had done for many years. I'm not doing that right now. I'm following a different plan, but I've done that for many years. And I mentioned to him that I had also... I'd also supplemented that sometimes by uh, reading a chapter of Proverbs also every day. You know, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and one for every day of the month. It's a good thing to do. And I mentioned I've also done the same thing with Psalms. You know, there's 150 Psalms and 30 days in the average month. You can read five Psalms every day. 
and continue through the whole book of Psalms every month. I did that for many, many years. And I say that to say that I have read Psalm 107 many, many times. I can't imagine how many times I've read Psalm 107. And every time I get to this section, I go, I don't understand why that particular part is in there. It just kind of draws me up short every time. All all the other three, the deliverance from desert and the deliverance from darkness and the deliverance from disease, all of them seem to have some explanation in the historical background that we're talking about, right? And what was taking place in the lives of the exiles there, uh, the Israelites. But this, what does this have to do with them? Here we are all of a sudden talking about those who go down to the sea in ships. Here we are all of a sudden talking about sailors. It's like it doesn't quite fit. It's certainly true that sailors at sea see disaster and experience the deliverance of God. But it's not a universal experience that would have applied to the others, and so I've wondered. But I think as I've studied it that I've finally come to an understanding of why maybe that's there. I think maybe it's an illustration. I think maybe what the psalmist is doing right there is saying, you know what? There are people in this world who absolutely and positively know about the deliverance of God. Who know what it means to be delivered from desert, to be delivered from darkness, to be delivered from disease. They know it. They know it. And if you haven't experienced the deliverance of our great God yet, perhaps the psalmist is saying, ask someone who has. They'll tell you about it. Ask a sailor who has been out to sea. Isn't that what it says? Verse number 24, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Ask them. They'll tell you about it. You know, there are things that happen to us in this world and in our lives over which we exercise zero control. Do you know that? Things that force us to either give up or to call out to God and trust God for deliverance. I don't know if it applies here or not, but it's a thought that comes to my mind, so I'll share it with you. I have been, I recently just finished a book. It was a historical novel on the, on the city of Pompeii, in the last days of Pompeii. Always been fascinated by that story. And since I read that book, I have been doing some additional study and just reading and trying to figure out all these different things. You remember the story of Pompeii? You remember that in 79 AD, Mount Vesuvius blew up with such an astonishing eruption that it completely and totally buried the city of Pompeii. An amazing, amazing thing. Many people perished horribly. Did you know that the eruption was of such force that it completely blocked the sun during the height of the afternoon? Can you imagine living in Pompeii on that day in the middle of the afternoon when it was like midnight, pitch dark, because the eruption was so blocking out the sun? Did you know that there was rock that fell from the sky like rain for hours and hours and hours? Rock that fell so hard that it piled up on the roofs and collapsed the roofs and buried people in their homes. Rock that fell from the sky so hard that it killed people as they were walking and running trying to escape. Can you imagine being in in something like that? Astonishing. Did you know that when the 1500 degree superheated pyroclastic blast, how's that for a word? Pyroclastic blast came hurtling down the side of the volcano at 150 mile an hour. It killed everybody in its path just like that and turned them literally into charcoal instantly. This was an astonishing thing. 
What must have been going through the minds of people as they looked at this, as they saw this, as they watched it coming? It had to have been to them an unbelievable phenomenon to look up and see rock raining down from the sky. It had to have been to them a hopeless situation, at least from the human perspective. And with all our technology today, there's some three million people, I think, living underneath of Mount Vesuvius today. They say it's due to go every 2,000 years. It's not got much longer to go. And if it, the Lord holds back his coming and that mountain ever goes again like he did that last time, those three million people with all our technology today will be no better off. They will be just as gone and just as destroyed. There was nothing any of them can do. Hopeless situation. You know, there are things that happen to us in this world over which we have zero control. There are times... Uh, such as that, where we come to know without a shadow of a doubt, we have one choice, and that's to call out to God. We have one choice, that's to cry out for deliverance. There is no other choice. Some of you may be able to relate to that, I don't know. There have been times in my life, I suppose, when I felt that way, when I felt like the sailor in verse number 26, soul melting because of trouble, or verse number 27, at your very wit's end, because of the troubles. That come in your life. But there is no hopeless situation to God. It might be hopeless to us, but not to God. Verse number 28. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. Verse number 31. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So I encourage you this morning, as you think about these four great deliverances in Psalm 107, I encourage you today, let us give thanks this Thanksgiving. Let us give thanks. And let's not give thanks for football. Let's not give thanks for turkey or dressing or even for family and jobs and health. Now, those things are all okay, and it's okay to give thanks for them, I guess. But, but let's remember the more important thing that we ought to give thanks for, the the thing that makes all those other things possible. Let's give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Look at how it describes God here. It says, God is the one who, it says, satisfies the longing soul, and who brought us out of darkness and the shadow of death. It is God who broke our chains in pieces. It is God who has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. It is God who sent his word and healed us and delivered us from destruction. It is God who calms the storms of our lives and guides us home. Let us give thanks. The psalmist concludes in verse number 43, and I like the way he concludes. He says, whoever is wise will observe these things. And they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Or as Eugene Peterson puts that verse in the message, he says, if you are really wise, you'll think this over. It's time you appreciated God's deep love. Amen. High time we give thanks. One more time. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men.